I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is sponsored by Guinness, also proud sponsors of the Women's Six Nations, which just reached its conclusion. Please remember to drink responsibly. Gavin Casey here, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague with the 42.8, e, Murray Kinsler. Murray, how are you? Oh, good, Gav. I'm actually feeling inspired this morning. I was just listening to Damien Brown's podcast. He's uh, obviously former Leinster and Connacht guy, and he is his latest adventure is going up Everest. So um, he's doing a pod so far each day, and it's been absolutely riveting listening. He's obviously a very he's got a very strong mindset. Uh, so yeah, it's an inspiring listen. I highly recommend people tuning in if they if they aren't already. Yeah, deep roots. I'm listening to it as well. I played with Damien. Uh, his nickname was ah, yeah. his nickname was House. Um, one of the strongest men I, I ever played with. Um, obviously he was in, in I played with McConnor, then he went to Northampton, um, then he went to Breve and Oyana, so uh, and Leinster. Sorry, he was in Leinster as well. He's he's uh, he had a great career and uh, yeah, he's inspirational. He's up on, on base camp at the moment. So some of the photographs on his Instagram as well. Oh. The beauty of the place. Um, yeah, phenomenal. Left his wife. His wife had a baby. His partner had a baby, and four, three or four days later, he's gone to Nepal. Uh, what a man! Yeah. That's an understanding wife as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> that was the voice of Bernard Jackman, in case you didn't recognise it. Bert, how are you? Excellent, thank you. Yeah, feel very insignificant compared to Damien, but sure, we'll crack on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll criticise we'll criticise everybody involved in rugby <laughs> and do nothing ourselves. But uh, no, I'm only joking. We'll continue to hurl from the ditch here. Exactly, Murray. I do need to I do need to ask you about your own personal Everest, which is raising a dog. It was a question <laughs> put to us by Kaylon. Double pronged question from Kalon, as they sometimes tend to be. And he was wondering how John is getting on. We haven't had an update in quite a while. He's good. Yeah, he's getting gigantic. He's three months old now and already looks like a bigger dog. So that's slightly worrying. Um, but he's good. He's loving getting out walks and meeting other dogs. And he's behaving so far. He hasn't been too bad. He's kind of picking on smaller dogs a little bit. So we have to watch that. But it's class. It's so much fun having a bit of companionship and a bit of focus. And you definitely need to give a, a lot of that. I didn't quite realize how much was going to go into it. But um, he's a good lad. He's chewing through skirting boards down there in the kitchen now at the moment. So uh, we can do a bit of home renovation after he's sorted the place out. I can see Murph beside you. He's crawling around here a little bit. Yeah, he's doing damage. Typical. Like Murph is 14 or 15 now. He's very much in retirement. He's got the pot belly on him and doesn't <laughs> like to move a great deal. So I think the tough years are behind us. But we've got another two then as well. Taylor who is named after Katie Taylor, nothing to do with me. It was a family decision when I was living in Dublin. And recently I was on a Zoom call with Katie ahead of, uh, I think her last fight. And Taylor, our dog, was like scratching on the door behind me trying to get in. And like it took took everything in me to not roar like, Taylor, shut the, shut the hell up, you know, <laughs> while she was on the call. Uh, but yeah, they are, uh, every moment's a battle, but uh, uh, you've got to cherish them as well. Uh, second part to Kalon's question was what do you make of this Eddie Jones things? Now, naturally, this show today, we're going to focus on the two massive games for Leinster and Ulster coming up this weekend. But let's get into that Jones thing. I know, Murray, you were keen to ask Bernard Jackman about it. And it's all the rage in England in the media there where there's probably no love lost between them and Jones. Um, so let's put it to Birch. Birch, what do you make of it, him working with Son Tory? Yeah, look, at it. he's always been doing it. I mean, um, I was lucky enough during lockdown, he was, he was actually... Um, he was stuck in Japan for uh, for one of the big lockdowns, and uh, he ran a lot of coaching webinars. And uh, he's look at he's a workaholic. I, I think, I think you take him away from being allowed to do uh, the extracurricular things that he likes to do. I think you lose some of his energy in camp. Um, and I know you know certain coaches, you know they feel you know uh, camp is so intense for Six Nations for November for summer tours that. The rest of the time, you need to completely chill out and and um, rebuild your energy levels to go back into camp and be in that intense period. Um, someone like Warren Gatlin would be would be huge on that. Um, whereas Eddie Jones seems to be uh, completely opposite. His whole personality and uh, and way of living is around um, being incredibly busy. And you know, there's lots of stories around um, 
you know, how hard he is in camp on staff with emails coming into your inbox at four in the morning and he wants an answer by six and uh, uh, things like that. So, but that's just the way he is. Um, and, you know, I, I just listen, I've been reading quite a bit about it and it seems that that was the deal he had um, that tempted him, you know, got him out of the Stormers contract to go to England after the, the Home World Cup, obviously. And it seems as if contractually he's, he's allowed to do that. Now, obviously the media in England are, are questioning whether that's, uh, smart by the RFU, but also when you read into it, it seems he took a pay cut um, alongside obviously everybody else with COVID and that the the kind of um, the counter argument for that or the, the negotiation or, that he accepted around that was that he would be continued to allow or allowed to continue to to do extracurricular activities. Um, so look, at, I, I don't have an issue with it, to be honest, I think. Um, I know people. The, the latest thing is he hasn't been at a, a training session in a club. But in fairness, anytime I watch BT Sport, um, you know he seems to be at a lot of games uh, regularly. So he can't, you can't question him on, on on that. He does seem to get out and about. Um, but yeah, I look at it's obviously the, there's a bit of momentum against him at the moment. Um, obviously that review uh, going to the public didn't paint. The, the management in the best possible light in terms of their, their resilience etc so um yeah he's he's in a bit of a storm at the moment and he's he's got to ride it out the problem is if he's if he's contracted uh, to Centauri um it's gonna it's gonna be difficult and I think his argument would be being in the RFU offices you know nine to five Monday to Friday outside of camp isn't gonna make him any better whereas you know picking up little bits from the Japanese league and dealing players like Bowden Barrett isn't is is inspiring him and giving him energy to come back to to England, you know, with new ideas. And that's the thing about Eddie Jones; he's reinvented himself, you know, five or six times. He is, and he's always seeking to to find the next level. And I and I genuinely feel, you know, England's poor Six Nations will lead to him developing a way of playing that could lead him to, you know, back to more trophies or maybe lead him to win the World Cup in England. Like that's that's the way he'll react to that. Um, he he doubled down on the strategy that got him to a World Cup final. And unfortunately, or, or fortunately for us and the other our competitor, the competing nations, that trend is gone out of the game now. But like, I wouldn't back against Eddie Jones being ahead of the curve on the next one. Murray, you probably have your own thoughts on it, but can I just ask you about the bone of contention that he hasn't been attending training sessions? That to me seems like a non-issue when you consider he has a staff who presumably do that on his behalf. Like if you're the head coach of a national team, you can't be expected to be everywhere at all times and you can't even expect it to be doing everything like there's a, a huge staff at England that would look after a, an element of that part of the job at least surely yeah absolutely and that is the case his assistants do more of that but I can kind of understand the frustration it is clearly coming from the clubs and even Nick Easter was quoted on the record which I actually was surprised by they're fairly um strong quotes really in the piece on the telegraph it is um, just saying that there's no dialogue really there and they have an open door, he can come training whenever they want, that they don't really have contact. Now, obviously, Eddie Jones isn't interested in a lot of their players, but I can understand that. And I actually personally think that would be a link worth worth strengthening. Obviously, it's different in that the IRFU and provinces are, are all the one organization really at the end of the day, and it's different in England. But I definitely think he could probably have stronger links there and at the end of the day he's he's employed to to win matches obviously they didn't do that this year england but i'd be similar to birch in viewing him as a an outstanding coach over a long period of time and someone who's shown us he'll he'll bounce back again um and the stuff in japan yeah for me it wasn't i'm reading it going like that's not a huge issue at least he's bettering himself in his time away from the game is opening his mind to different ways and different methods and even talking to someone like bowden barrett and, and dealing with him he's He's picking up things there all the time as well, I'd imagine. So, um, yeah, as, as Bert says, he's he's full on. It reminds me of you, Gav, with the 4 a.m. emails and a text follow up at 6 asking what we're going to talk about in the pod. Well, I was going to say it reminds me of Adrian Russell. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Adrian doesn't do that. I'm probably a man for the late emails, all right. I'm a bit nocturnal. One last one on this, Bernard. And when you look at England's Six Nations review, I wouldn't have thought that it would have inspired a huge deal of confidence that 
they do firmly believe Jones is the man to lead them forward. I, I, I'm not saying that they are looking to oust him or remove him from his position either, but it did give a sense of let's play up by year, let's see how probably the next Six Nations goes, but that he was on a reasonably short leash and that the next Six Nations and, and probably the next 12 months do need to go well for him or they might consider making a change. Did you get that same impression when you were looking into it yourself? Yeah, no, I, I look at it, it was a, it was a very um, open and transparent um, review. Um, certainly, you know, it, it shows probably um, Eddie Jones is willing to take that feedback, you know, um, being criticised. For a guy of his his, his uh, record, you know, you could easily say, listen, what do you know about it? I'm the, co-, you know, I'm going off, I resign or whatever. Maybe that's what he wanted. But um, he, he he's taken it on the chin um, and he'll have to implement you know some of the recommendations, or else he'll be held to task. And I, I just think it's a really good example of um, a union who have a real focus on on high performance, on getting results, on making sure that things are done properly, and not being afraid to question. You know, even someone of his standing, even someone of his salary, um, when things haven't gone to plan. And you know, uh, it, it for sure it, it puts the pressure back on him. But you know, what I know of him, he'll he'll actually. Um, he'll embrace that that pressure and that feedback, and look to look to implement those things along with the things that he feels himself and his staff have fed back in a senior player. So, uh, yeah, it's just an example of again real high performance, wanting to be the best in the world, uh, wanting to win Six Nations, and not being afraid to question um, or recommend uh, based on on the feedback from the people involved. Yeah, Eddie Jones with his back to the wall could be a dangerous beast. I don't really like the prospect of it, I have to say. <laughs> but we'll see how it goes for him over the next 12 or so months. Let's chat then about the two big games coming up this weekend. And I'm going to cross-reference sports here again. I know it's a risky thing to do on a rugby podcast, but there's a phrase in boxing, styles make fights, right? And I'm looking at this La Rochelle-Leinster game, and in boxing it means that somebody like a pure boxer against a come forward sort of slugger their styles gel and produce a spectacle but my own personal preference is always two fighters that can do everything and like they're proficient in nearly every aspect of the game and there isn't a huge disparity in any of the elements of uh, their performance and that's the impression i get from this larishel leinster game i can't really separate them on paper i'm sure the two of you can but it does feel like just a perfectly evenly matched contest Murray that might come down more to intangibles want and execution ultimately rather than there being a difference on paper Mm. there's a big difference in terms of the teams being in these positions like obviously La Rochelle are really consistent across the course of this season but they're not a a long-standing championship winning side they're on their journey towards in their hopes being that exactly and and Rona Garrison on for three years is an indication of his belief that it's moving in that direction a part of me almost wonders if he'd obviously he wants to win this and obviously he wants to win every trophy but if in a few months time they lost this game he go okay that's okay there's not this massive expectation that we're back in a final every single time and I would imagine similar ish with the, with the top 14 he's obviously a competitor but he's got an awareness of the kind of progression of his career as well um, and, and on the pitch yeah both teams are capable of doing a lot of different things I was looking back on the statistics kind of for the season and there are a few little indicators of of differences even something like time in possession Leinster average around 18 minutes per game and La Rochelle are 15 minutes per game you, you look at that in tandem with the kicking Leinster are 22.5 on average per game with La Rochelle at 26.5 and the highest in the Champions Cup so far like I know there's not been many games but they've been kicking 31 times per game in the Champions Cup so Clearly, O'Gara's feeding into that tactical focus on being able to turn teams and not playing into, like, Leinster's defence is obviously extremely strong, not overplaying into it. He's really also pushed the the defensive side of the game. It hasn't got a lot of focus because KBA, baby, that's that's all the rage now. Everyone wants to talk KBA, but he's really pushed them to be better organised, to be more efficient, and they are the best. French defence you know even statistically again they've only conceded 1.3 tries per average on game which is the best in the top 14 and Champions Cup Leinster are at 2.1 so he's focused on those kind of foundations really well I think in terms of how they play with with the kicking and and the defensive side of it as well Leinster are probably a a more potent attacking force and certainly you look at try score there on 4.5 average per game with La Rochelle down on 3.1 that's a decent total but Leinster have been really good at converting pressure it's not really an indication of them tearing teams apart in midfield but 
they are capable of doing that in the middle third of the pitch. The offloads obviously is something that has attracted attention with La Rochelle recently and, and the stats kind of back that up. 8.7 on average per game to Leinster's 6.4. So they're clearly willing to push those passes. I think they're actually very good at deciding when to use that part of their game. They have some really powerful ball carriers and that's often when you'll see the offloads. Even the likes of Will Skelton, he's got that in his game when he's just boshed someone onto the onto the ground. Um, so there's little indications there of of differences. La Rochelle probably conceding more penalties on average than Leinster as well, and that could be a massive part of it. It's not a huge difference, about one penalty on average more per game, but those little things are things that Leinster generally get right in these big pressure games, which they've been in before and which they'll feel is a strength, even obviously traveling away from home. There's no crowd there, um, but it is a little disadvantage. But they'll feel, we've been here before. La Rochelle haven't. Like, let's take them to a place that they haven't been before. So, in fact, an incredible number of differences on paper between the two teams. But that's what happens. Murray brings the stats, I bring the vibes, Bernard. And uh, I was wondering, have you gotten vibes from French contacts and impression on Rogers' impact over there? I'm sure many of the coaches over there are keeping an eye on Larissa's progress, naturally, but also one of the men at the helm responsible for that progress. Yeah, look, I think um, there's there's obviously fascination with it. Uh, it's seen as being, uh, from an FFR point of view, it's a it's a great story in terms of a, a club who were in Pro D two who've, you know, five or six years ago, um, and have established themselves at at the top table in in the top fourteen, um, you know, the John O'Gibbs, the the Ron O'Gary influence is is obviously really interesting. John obviously going back to Claremont now, so, um, that's a that's a big news story. Claremont obviously a top club who who haven't had the success that, that they crave uh, and and they see John O as being a, a key um a key move in, in terms of trying to trying to bring that bring that and it obviously gives Rog more uh, more say more control it, it's it's going to be his project now where uh, rather than Jono's project where he had a big influence on the field so um yeah it's it, it, it's definitely um something that coaches are and and, and journalists there's been a lot of interest uh, in, from French journalists this week trying to Trying to find out how Rog is seen over here, and obviously we know he's he, he's widely uh, loved, and a lot of people are um, are, are really interested in, in his progress as a coach. But I think it's a great project for for Ronan, um, and you know the stability they have as a club, um, the budget they have. You know they've gone into the market now, um, where they've been able to since they signed Victor Vito, they've been able to, um, I suppose, keep their best players and 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 recruit. Um, some top end guys like you know Carbarlo, uh, etc. I I West, you know he wasn't a huge name, um, but a you know a really exciting Super Rugby player, um, who suits the type of game they want they play. And I think him being fit, I know they've got depth with with Jules Plisson, uh, but I think West is the key. I mean he's just um he's such a dangerous ten in terms of attacking the line, and it, he opens up a lot of space for the likes of Body and. Dumaro uh, uh, in in the centre and yeah I think him being fit and it sounds like he is fit um is a big boost he 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 hurt his shoulder scoring a try against against Leon last week so he was a little bit doubtful um yeah so look at there's 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 definitely fascination um with with La Rochelle as a, as a club um and I think a lot of other clubs would love to have the stability off the field that they have love to have you know a stadium that sells out week in week out. Um, love to have a president who 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 has that length of tenure. Um, who's not putting a huge amount of money in himself, but has been really good at getting money from um the the local community, both both just fans, but also um in terms of sponsorship. So it's a yeah, it, it's probably a um a case study in in how you can build a club kind of um step by step and. You know they're obviously aiming for sustainable success, and, and and all the signs are that they they will have because they've just built a state of the art training facility. Um, they have tapped into uh, all the community clubs in terms of where they'll get their players in the future. They brought in a guy Johnny Claxton, but that's not new. But his role wasn't just to be senior uh, S and C coach for the senior team, um, which he did for Leinster under Joe Schmidt, which he did for uh, Steve Tandy and the Ospreys. Um, he is in charge of. S and C all the way down as as low as you're under sixteen. So that's that's what that's what I mean by kind of um, alignment, um, uh, a plan to create long term success. Um, that they have a lot of those 
factors in place. Whereas you look at a club like Stade Francais, um, spend a huge amount of money, um, but a lot of it's short term, and they're very reliant on their benefactor staying involved. And they've lost a couple of benefactors over the last decade, and the club has been in a really bad place where you, it looks like La Rochelle are. Uh, look, at the, I'm not saying they're going to be winning trophies all the time, but they're they're going to be there thereabouts for the next five or six years. You would think. Uh, uh, you gave us a great insight uh, a couple of weeks ago. Was it last week, Birch, about building a squad, planning, all that kind of side. And I think this squad is a really nice example of putting all the right pieces in, in place. As you say, the recruits have been excellent. Like even Dylan Lades has been phenomenal in the top fourteen at times. Raymond Rule, a guy who was kind of in a weird place in his career. Uh, with loads of talent but has been excellent in, in La Rochelle obviously Will Skelton doesn't come cheap but they are getting some bang for their buck he looks in the best shape of his life he's doing everything he's just a really dominant tight forward and, and that has a massive impact on games as well as the French guys like Brice Duland's been renewed there Plisson probably something similar under O'Gara and Bourgerie in the in the front row so they've got all that really right I think Gibbs probably hasn't featured much in the coverage this week they put him up for interview yesterday La Rochelle they refused to put up o- O'Gara because I think he probably had enough of, of all of it as well can, can you just give us a bit of insight into how that works so in terms of direct Roby head coach because this seems to be happening everywhere now where there's two guys who could argue be the figurehead but they're both there even in Munster you look at Johan van Graan he's the head coach Larkham's the senior coach but from what we understand you know Van Graan's actually yeah. more of a director of rugby and Larkham's the, the coach. How does it actually work, the, the split of division of, jo- of jobs? Yeah, look, at every club has their own unique um, way of doing things. And generally, they'll recruit or set up their structure based upon the skill set of, of who they have. So, um, uh, for example, like, say, Leinster have a very unique situation with Leo, kind of long-term planning, um, selection, uh, but not really hands-on in the field. Stewart is the head coach. I would say that probably the nearest I can gather from from uh, to Leinster is probably La Rochelle, where Jono looks after a huge amount of the organisational stuff, the retention, um, the recruitment, um, and deals with the president, deals with the board, um, and Ronan looks after the, the on-field stuff, which is like kind of like what Stewart does. And in fairness, I... I La Rochelle have another guy, a French guy, who looks after a lot of the paperwork, which in France, um, I, like that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to get a phone contract, uh, you swear you're you're signing your life away. Um, but like, so there's a huge amount of paperwork that needs to go back and forth to the LNR, um, on a on a weekly basis. Um, and so you would need somebody like a, a nearly a full time secretary to to look after that. Um, the issue is, Jono was on the field as well a little bit, helping the forwards coaches because. I think he felt they needed a little bit of help. Um, and that, that's a choice the DOR will make, whether how much influence he has on field um, or not. So say, for example, Worcester, Alan Solomons is very much off field, um, very much upstairs, um, dealing with agents and, and dealing with the with the finances of it. And John Thomas is is now the head coach. So it's kind of similar to, to the Stuart Lancaster, Ron Nagara part of it. Um, it's just... A, it, it, I suppose there's a lot of trust and how much trust the, the director of rugby has, uh, how much pressure he's under and then how much pressure he puts onto the head coach to get results. And whether, and this is the issue sometimes is, is selection. Um, you know, sometimes the DOR, I've seen or heard of examples where the DOR will come in because you've lost the game and look to, to pick the team for that week. And that's a difficult one because if you're the one who's coaching, it's your game plan, um, and you're 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 seeing these players closely day to day, um, and you know then suddenly you lose some power over selection that can that can create a little bit of a conflict. So look, the the great thing for Ron is there obviously hasn't been any any conflict. Um, him himself and Jono have obviously worked really well together, and now Ronan can probably set up the staff in a way to suit him, and that's going to be exciting for him to to be able to you know bring his own well contractually um, dependent. Um, be able to create his own staff either in terms of retention or change slightly roles and responsibilities to to build it up but um, yeah in terms of just a DOR story so I, I'll just give you a quick story about Grenoble um, so my second year in Grenoble I was only the defence coach um, and you know I was very much a, a, a an assistant bit part player or whatever but our strategy under my director of rugby every year was um, uh, Fabrice Landreau was to get out quick right so 
we won the Pro D2 my first year. Uh, so when you win Pro D2, you basically get to go on holidays um, probably six weeks before the, the top 14 finishes. Uh, so we, because you don't go into a playoff system. So we basically had sent our players on holidays and had most of them back in, bar the guys we recruited from top 14 quite early. So we had like a nine-week preseason. Um, and we got off to an absolute flyer, beat Bordeaux the first day of the season and got away from the relegation zone quickly and uh which is brilliant because that that was our goal was to stay up so we got a head start on everybody and ended up staying up right so then when you end up staying up and you know you've stayed up with three games to go or two games to go you can get your drift code up for your last two games um and you can get guys operated on you can send fellas back to new zealand early to start the whole cycle again right so basically to to start two weeks before everybody else um and get another head start but we, i'm not sure if it was my second or third year but we got an absolute flyer to the season and with about five weeks to go um they're, they're great in france for actually predicting results right so uh breve are going to racing they can't win there so that's zero points for them um uh, i and i are going to claremont uh, they might get a bonus point give them one point so they're always playing around with the table right and predicting how many points we need to finish to stay up because that was our goal so anyway about five games to go uh, he came in with his matrix and he said, look, we're safe, right? <laughs> and, uh, okay, I was like, what? We're, we're safe, yeah. We need to get our GIF code up and I want all the foreigners to go home early um, call them in, uh, and any operations that need to be done, let's get them done early because we want to basically um, get our GIF code up and we're just going to rotate for the rest of the season. So anyway, we did that, right? So we were playing, I think, 20 GIF players per week getting smashed um, and suddenly... Suddenly, Bayon got a result. Uh, no, Perpignan got a result somewhere that they weren't supposed to. Right? <laughs> okay. So anyway, it, it, it turned out we were going to Toulouse the last week. Um, haven't either win or hope Perpignan didn't win in Claremont. Right. So all the games the last day of the season are finished at, at the same time. Right. Now Perpignan had a good team. I mean, it was Maffey was there. There was lots of good players there. They just had a really tough season. Um, and in fairness, Claremont was like a fortress. So nobody won in Claremont, but. I mean, uh, like to say that um, uh, to say that we were nervous was an understatement. And you can't re you can't regain momentum. You can't get guys back from New Zealand to play a match. Like you've shut down, right? And and also, uh, so we went to, to lose with an absolute. I remember getting on the bus in Grenoble, going, um, "We have no chance of getting a result tomorrow uh, because of the of the players we had." Like on a, it was literally, uh, and also, so that was grand. So anyway, it's about a ten hour drive from Grenoble to um to Toulouse and uh I looked at the planning and basically uh the, and the planning this is a Friday the match was Saturday afternoon it was uh repass special right so it's basically a special lunch right so I was like what are we doing for lunch and he's oh surprise surprise so we're, we're near Montpellier anyway the next thing we turn off to the left and heading down this little coast road on a, on a on a big bus hardly enough room to get through so we go down to this little fishing port right and we all get off the bus and I was like, what's going on? There was no restaurant or hotel here. And basically we go into this like um, little docks and uh, this fisherman comes in and, and uh, he knows Fabrice or whatever. So uh, he's got a load of oysters, right? Okay. So uh, basically our lunch was like oysters. <laughs> so I was like, uh, I was like to the SSC coach, he said, where's the carbs, right? And he's like, uh, Jesus, I don't know. So he went to Fabrice and next thing the white wine comes out, right? Okay. Oh, man. So, um, our lunch was basically the day before match was like guys smashing oysters and white wine, right? So anyway, from there it's about another two and a half hours to uh, to to lose, to lose on the bus. So I look back after half an hour, lads are absolutely snoring like completely. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the hotel, we have a bit of a proper meal that night, and then next day, like next day after ten minutes, we were twenty points down. And uh, I was saying to Fabrice, what's <laughs> happening in Perpignan? Perpignan were ahead, right? So anyway, oh my god! Yeah. So basically, we were we were we were we were fifty points down, and Perpignan lost by three or four points. Like it was one of the most nerve wracking uh, weeks of uh, four four or five weeks of my life. But like that's the and in fairness, like the next season we got off to a flyer. So you know he lived or died by the decision he made. We stayed up. That was his goal. Uh, we got our GIF quota numbers up, so we got more money from the from the league but like you know as an assistant coach where your life is dependent on staying up like if we had lost that match the club would have like there would have been players let go coaches let go you know it would have been absolute chaos because we didn't have the benefactor to to ride out the storm and um yeah so like that can happen and and 
uh, that has happened that, that will continue to happen so having trust in your DOR or sorry not trust I had trust in him um, having a, a, a similar philosophy um, is is gold and you know that's why I think Jono went for Raj and, and Raj probably backed Jono um, and you know, now now John has gone to Claremont to to try and you know create success there and Raj will be responsible for for trying to I suppose continue the momentum of La Rochelle <laughs> that's gas what's the equivalent of Leo Cullen doing that with Leinster big bag of chips and battered sausage maybe the day well, before didn't Jack Charlton <laughs> Jack Charlton used to go to Beshoffs with the Irish team wasn't it yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Leo Leo stopping off in Eddie Rockets uh, on the way home <laughs> <laughs> well uh, you did send on a link of Landro doing some kind of chant slash song in a dressing room he's working at a, a fed one club yeah, now yeah, that, and that's the big thing so he, he has this dance which is called the benny b and um he, he's been doing it since he was 21 22 when he played for <laughs> and uh and it, like he does it he does it all the time anytime you win a match the players go benny b benny b and he he whips off his top like he's a great guy uh great guy like a charismatic fella um yeah very fu- very funny guy but uh yeah he's still He's still up. He's still operating, you know. And uh, he went from Grenoble to Stade Francais, where he headed up the academy. Um, and now he's back. He's he's uh, he's back with a feather one club down in Cognac, I think it is. But uh, yeah, hilarious. Like he did that for us in top fourteen. Like it went out live on TV, um, because the cameras are always in the dressing room after games. Like he's very famous, he's a very witty guy. Yeah. Sounds like Razor Robertson. I think yeah, we need exactly. more dancing. We need more dancing coaches. Well, I was going to say, if Leinster win this weekend, I want to see Leo Cullen do that in the dressing room to like Maniac 2000 or something along those lines with the top off, do the full Mark McCabe. Uh, so how do Leinster actually win this game, Murray? Like, obviously, losing Sexton is a blow. They probably would have been preparing for that a, a little bit more in advance of the news actually was confirmed, if you like. And we've seen Ross Byrne step in at 10 in Exeter, do an unbelievable job. I thought it was from what I've seen of him this season, I've seen most of their games, it was his best performance of the season. There's probably still that little stigma almost around him based on two performances in Twickenham where the forwards got their arses handed to them and he was chasing his own arse really as a result of that. So that felt like a, I don't want to say a defining performance, but certainly a performance from which he can relaunch his career a little bit. And and if he was to repeat it this weekend, which I think he's capable of, uh, then suddenly it's a different conversation about him. But do you think he's capable of, of filling that gap in this game this weekend? Absolutely. All the evidence suggests he is. And I agree with you. I think this weekend is like changing of the guard. Is that too big a, a statement to make with it? I, I don't think it is. I, I think this is the way Leinster would have planned it. And like Johnny Sexton is 35. He's going to be 36 this summer. He obviously got an extension from the IRFU. I think it would have been fascinating to see what would have happened if the IRFU had decided not to, to contract him. And how Leinster would have managed that. Obviously, he's still their captain. He's still a really influential figure. But they've been aware all the time, as Bernard mentions, about succession planning, about timing that move right. And Ross Byrne, it feels like now at 26, having stepped up whenever he's been asked to. You think of the quarterfinal against Ulster a couple of years ago when he nailed that penalty. You think of even more recently down in Thomond Park against Munster when he comes off the bench and produces a lovely grubber kick and nails his conversion from the right-hand side. And you think of Exeter when he came on, sauntered on and, and just had so much composure and grabbed hold of it and said, like, follow me, we're, we're going to the semi-finals. Um, and I just I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case again um, in this game. Obviously, it's a step up from his career. And as you say, a couple of those bigger experiences haven't gone well, but he has definitely had an experience of almost being a scapegoat in those circumstances. Like England have beaten Ireland with Johnny Sexton in the team and he's been bad in those games, obviously, because it's, his forwards aren't going forward. None of his team are. And um, we've seen him look like a, a poor out half in, in those circumstances as well. So absolutely, Ross Byrne has ticked all the boxes so far. He's obviously a, a big personality in the squad as well. And, you know, if he plays really well in the semi-final and, and Johnny Sexton is fit for a final if they go through, then I think it's a really interesting decision for Leinster and I wouldn't be surprised almost to see Ross Byrne starting because he's he's got to take that mantle at, at some stage and, and drive it on and, and be the one leading it um, so yeah I'm not, not not that I'm trying to write off Johnny Sexton I think what they're doing with his concussion issues is absolutely bang on as well I think they've been handling those things really well recently with Caelan Doris with James Ryan with giving them extra time and making sure that they're they're all healthy before they before they get back. That's absolutely class to see, given what we've talked about with head injuries. So fingers crossed that Sexton is back up and running whenever whenever he's ready. 
and he won't, won't obviously be pleased to see Ross Byrne in the 10 shirt at all he never has been he's always wanted to be the one steering directing obviously it's badly time for him this weekend with a line squad to come next Thursday he could have used obviously a last big performance um, to, to kind of prove his point to Gats so um, there's loads of bits tied up in it but I do think it's a, it's a huge decisive moment in, in Ross Byrne's career and if it goes well he could be the one to drive things on yeah, I'd echo that sentiment about Leinster's communication around uh, some of those recent head, head injuries as well. I've heard some people suggest that maybe it's shrouded in a little bit more mystery than I believe it to be. I think they've been fairly transparent in saying we're going to give them as much time as they need and probably even a little bit more time to be sure to be sure and rather be wrong by giving them too much time than be wrong by giving them too little time. So I think it's commendable enough, really, how Leinster have handled those situations. I also think it's not really a conversation for us to have now about Sexton because let's wait for him to get better and then allow him to have that conversation and speak about it. We're talking about a player's health and he's ruled out at the moment. We wish him well. Bernard, do you agree with Murray that if Ross Byrne was to perform as capable as, he, as we believe him to, uh, to be able to do this weekend, uh, that it could be a changing of the guard and it could be uh, actually a defining moment in his career and a little bit of a crossroads match for the two of them. Yeah, and I think he's ready for it. I, I have massive faith in Ross Byrne's ability to, to deal with pressure, to implement a plan. Um, I think he's probably as mentally strong um, a player uh, as is out there and he will relish this. And given him opportunities in pro pro 14 finals you know where johnny's being fit is just is really good planning for them because now they've reached a day where it wasn't their choice and but he has had that confidence that um that reassurance that they back him to, to close out a, a a game or or which he had to do against exeter but to start a game um which where there's a silver trophy on the line and i think that's even and, and they've got away with that is in that he's led them to victory but even if it led him to defeat um, you know, it, it it it's good thing to do in terms of preparing for you know the ultimate prize, which is obviously for Leinster. It's Europe now, and um, and he's going. He'll go there, fully comfortable with how they want to play, fully comfortable uh, with the guys around him, and even just that whatever sixty minutes against Exeter, that would be so good for him to have steered the ship, to have brought him back in um, from behind, and pulling away at the end. Um, so yeah, look at I, I can see it, and I'm just on the. On the concussion stuff, I think this is, for me, there's so much talk over the last 10 years about the the player welfare system and prolong your career playing in Ireland. Um, I think this has been the, the, the best example of of where the players can get really good care without any pressure. I, I, I struggle to see if you were a marquee player in, in the Premiership or in France, um, this level of time being given, uh, and and look, at, I'm not saying that anyone's forced to play, but just uh, um, there's often that pressure, um, uh, subliminal pressure, to to get back on the field and, and help your team, you know, get to a playoffs or whatever. But I, I just think the concussion one for me is the one that I would be saying to someone down the road, saying, look at, um, look at examples of how well we looked after X, Y, and Z, um, and how patient. Or Joey Carberry, another one which isn't concussion, but there's another one where they just say, look at. The timeline is is irrelevant. Just you know, we're going to look after him, and it went from basically missing deadlines to actually just coming back in his own time and, and being fit again. So I've seen a big shift in the last year in terms of the optics. I'm not saying it wasn't always there, but it's it, it seems to be clear now uh, of why it's it would benefit your career long term to stay in Ireland, um, because they are getting phenomenal medical care. Yeah, great to see. On the on the burn thing, Gav, it'll be really interesting to see how La Rochelle potentially look at him. The most encouraging aspect of his performance in Exeter, I thought, was his defence. He he made all nine of his tackles and he really threw himself into them. There was a real bite to his defensive work, which he probably been himself hasn't always been the case um, in his game, whereas Johnny Sexton has had that over every other at half in the game, really, over the last decade or, or whatever it is. So he's got to be really nailed on that spot. I would expect that Bottia is going to have a few cuts at him. Obviously, that's a, a standard part of any team's game plan. And he'll have to really stand up in that area. Other bits that are going to be key for Leinster, like obviously it's a big La Rochelle pack. And against Saracens in the past, Leinster have maybe struggled with that that mass and power and cohesive force and fairness to, to Saracens. But you look at Weenie, Antonio and Skelton, what they did on that tight head side of the scrum in the, in the previous couple of rounds of Europe and in the top 14 week in, week out. Obviously, their back row with Gregory Aldrich, 
Gordon Vito, all guys capable of winning gain line, um, and that's going to be a, a massive part of it. Leinster's tight five has been in, in really good nick and has responded to that Saracens um, being demolished, I suppose, by Saracens r- really well. You know, you've got two tight heads who are in incredibly good form. Really important, I think, that James Ryan got through last weekend and is fit again. Scott Fardy has been a legend for Leinster, but didn't have his best game in Exeter. Um, and I think Ryan being back for that kind of close combat stuff is really important. Aggression levels, being an influence around getting up off the ground, looking for that dogged work in the in the tide. He's really influential in, in that regard. So really helpful for them there. And Ronan Keller probably went to another level against Exeter as well, which was encouraging f- for Leinster. He was a dominant force physically again for such a, a young guy nailed most of his, his set piece stuff as well so that was a real impressive kind of coming of age performance in Europe from him so they're in good nick there but it is going to be a real vicious battle uh, scrum penalties could be decisive in this and, and line out as always they're the kind of they're the decisive factors even if they're not the most glamorous ones um, so big ask for, for Leinster's back when La Rochelle's defence is so miserly, Bernard, uh, Murray had the stat earlier about the, the number of tries they're conceding on average per game, how do Leinster actually pick that defence apart? Like, does it come down to set piece again where you're almost dependent on less than a handful of moments in a game where you just have to strike? Or are there kind of strategic things that wrinkles that Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster will be looking at introducing that uh, to expose perceived vulnerabilities in the La Rochelle defence that we maybe wouldn't see with the naked eye? Yeah, I, I don't think they'll play as much ball in hand. Um, and I think if I know it was a, it was a, it was a mixed team, but I mean, if you if, if it was me reviewing the game against uh, Munster last weekend, which they will do, they you know they'll do that. They'll done that Monday, and that'll lead that'll feed into the work ons for this week, even though the personnel will change. Um, obviously, the breakdown was was an absolute mess, and and that's something that they need to fix. But. The other thing was they kept trying to play ball in hand, even though they were getting knocked back, knocked back, knocked back. So, you know, they didn't vary it at all. And obviously they had young halfbacks. Um, or sorry, they, yeah, they had halfbacks coming on and the ball, the ball, the back of the breakdown was was uh, under pressure, but they didn't kick nearly as much as they needed to. Um, so they were given monster energy. So like if you get knocked back behind the gain line uh, in a carry, Obviously, it's either easier for the defensive team then to smash that rook because they're going forward, and then you double down on that and go and try and play again off that uh, off slow ball going backwards. It's easier again. So Munster were the team going forward all the time, um, or a lot of the time defensively plus going forward at the breakdown, and Leinster continued to try and play in that in their own half and play ball in hand. So that will be something that they will obviously say. Look, let's not give. La Rochelle energy from the defence. Let's we're not going to be afraid to play ball in hand, but in the right areas of the field when we're on the front foot. So, um, and Ross Byrne um, is is a very smart tactician. Um, whoever comes in at nine, you know they're 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 both international nines, and um, so I think their breakdown will be a lot better protected, and but also they won't overplay. They won't overplay, and and then when they get on the front foot, they'll they'll really play quick. And you hear you know Ronald Keller talking this week. We need to play with tempo, etc. For sure they will, and they look to have you know really fast rook ball and move the point of contact, um, and and I'd say probably not play with too much width, um, and play inside the first receiver a lot, not to give La Rochelle time to get off the line, uh, but it, when if they're not going forward, they won't continue to to try and uh, do that. They'll they'll shift the point of contact and they go to the air, and there's probably a question mark. I think Raymond Rule's a great player. He, 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 I watched him a lot when he's playing for Grenoble um, last year. Uh, I wouldn't be massively convinced under a high ball. Um, Brees Doolan's a small guy. He's good in the air, but he's a small guy. So if you kick contestables onto him, they may get change. And I, I could see that being a, a big part of the game to to negate La Rochelle's defensive power by not overplaying. I, yeah, I, I'm predicting a Rossburn crossfield kick assist for a try because, or, or leading to a try because they do get really high on the edge don't they in their defense like O'Gara has added so much aggression and it's been unbelievably effective in top 14 because a lot of teams are trying to play beyond it if you get beyond it you're you're you know you're in business if you pass outside but it's really tough to do we've seen so many kind of spot tackles from them where they stop the ball and you're behind the game line then they'll flood the rock and and you're in real trouble um so it's yeah it's a it's a brilliant point about not overplaying into it um and that kicking game will be key and there's another really interesting aspect of it on a bigger picture 
like Ross Byrne being the game manager and also the captain's not there you know Johnny Sexton the captain's not there so whether it's Ringrose leading it but him and James Ryan kind of grabbing hold and hopefully for Lancaster and Cullen driving it on making it their team now and, and pushing into a European final um, for, for them as the kind of figureheads of the group on the flip side of it then you've got a man in Raj who is intimately familiar with Leinster from having worked as a pundit um, but also just generally he's going to be keeping his eye on the Irish provinces I'm pretty sure he'll have watched every minute Leinster have played this season he'll know some of the players personally even those who he probably didn't quite get a chance to play with so there's an element of like him probably knowing everything that Leinster can do or everything Leinster have shown us so far where will he look to exploit them Murray and and where can La Rochelle break down Leinster's fairly miserly defence in its own right I I would imagine they've spent a lot of time and they always do clearly on on their strike plays and absolutely nailing a couple of those against Leinster as you mentioned they don't really tend to spend a whole amount of time in possession compared to a team like Leinster but they have shown really good creativity around that side of their game. Um, and obviously it's something O'Gara enjoys and probably took loads of inspiration and ideas away from Crusaders who were excellent in that regard as well. Um, we saw even against Sale some really clever stuff off the line out. Simple but but well executed and well thought out. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see what little bits he's picked out around Leinster in, in that regard where they, they look to strike on the first two, three phases of of their um attacking game and then if they can get some of that game line it wouldn't be great to see their their offloading game come into play because it is a joy to watch when when they get rumbling forward for leinster it's a, a case of um i suppose using their technical strength and their variety of defensive techniques in terms of choke tackles targeting arms and preventing that happening even if they do lose the the gain line initially so it's an intriguing battle in in all aspects Uh, and as we said so many class players as well involved and the freshness of the rivalry as Bernard mentioned they were only in Pro D2 very recently and now they're here and look like they're going to be at the top table for a while so that is massively welcome. Is there anything that La Rochelle and Raj and John O'Gibbs can gleam from Exeter's start against Leinster Burner do you think or was that kind of a case of Leinster just being caught cold after a couple of weeks and Tom Tom O'Flaherty going off like were there a little were there more acute elements that uh, Rog could take something from yeah look I I definitely think that like they do keep their wingers busy so Leighton and and Rule uh, Drift Doolan pops up um, you know quite regularly out the back and and he look for those mismatches got great footwork so they have similar traits um but it probably, you know, Exeter, the way Exeter got a great start against Leinster is what Exeter have been doing for four or five years. And it's quite hard to to implement that that shape um, in, in your game in a week. But I think what I think what they'll do is um, they'll go up the guts. And I think that's the area. So Leinster, Leinster have a um, brilliant weight under defence. You know, they're very good at getting bodies on their feet. Um, and, but what they are susceptible to, in my opinion, is is you know picking goes through the middle um little pop passes to runners coming hard at that at that second defender you know getting getting a little offload there and getting in behind them uh, i think the longer the ball's in the air uh, the more comfortable Leinster are in terms of getting off the line and keeping their line integrity like some teams the more they come forward um the, the bigger the gaps are because there's there's kind of differences in speed and, and fitness Leinster have 15 Sorry, they've got 23 really fit mobile players. Um, a bad example for the for the Conor Murray first try where they don't get reset on transition and, and, and obviously Andrew Porter gets caught. In general, in general, they're they're very good at getting um really good line integrity, really good spacing, and you don't want to play with too much depth against them, I I feel. So I think they'll look to go hard at them in around a rook area. Um, punch holes there and I mean, it's interesting actually so Skelton you mentioned Skelton Murray I remember speaking to Ronan uh, Raj before Christmas and just said oh you're like you're having a great season what's the difference and he said Will Skelton and I said and, he, and I started laughing and he said no actually he said you wouldn't believe how how much one guy can can uh, can change things and I'm not, I'm not it's not as simple as that and obviously um, you know there's lots of other things that have gone well but Will Skelton coming to coming there, giving him that extra power forward who can who can get his hands free, and then you've guys you know with pace and and, and power like Botti etc. who can then punch again. 
that changed the whole dynamic of it. Uh, and they're not a one-man team by any manner of means, but that back row is phenomenal. I mean, um, you know, so strong. It's probably the strongest back row Leinster have come up against this year. Um, and uh, you know, and, and then you know they've got a very dynamic hooker. They've got a lot of power and 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 uh, explo- explosivity. So, um, but Skelton has been a brilliant signing. Um, and uh, and yeah, so just one player like that can can turn you from being a you know a top six team to a top four team. With that in mind, the power and the dynamism of La Rochelle's back row, Murray. And granted, when Leinster beat Exeter in the manner in which they did, it did feel as though they'd kind of banished some of the demons from that Saracens defeat or even the two Saracens defeats in recent years. But if this is the best pack they're going to face this season, is that La Rochelle's best hope of winning this game to just attempt to and successfully monster Leinster up front? Is that the only way to beat Leinster at this point in what should be a tight encounter? I mean, to an extent, you have to do that to win any game. You've got to control that battle up front it's such a long-standing truth about rugby and it and it's all the more so in a game like this absolutely like the scrum how they clear out the ball at, at the rock time how their forwards carry and it's not just about boshing over the top of them they've got a, a skill set around it but so so do Leinster's and there's a real pragmatism obviously in in John O'Gibbs and in Ron O'Gara they've succeeded so often and they've been around world-class environments for for most of their careers so they're well aware of what is important in a semi-final and, and getting through. Absolutely, both teams have ability to open up. I think their attacking, g- kicking games will be prominent features, but it's decided by Will Skelton versus James Ryan on a few occasions and, and the rest of the guys in that tight five and, and the back rows. That's absolutely pivotal for, for this weekend. Bert, are you ready to call it? Uh, yeah, for me, Leinster just have too much experience in, uh, at this end of Europe, I think. Leinster have a blinkers on in terms of winning Europe this year and I fancy Leinster by five. Murray, you were leaning towards Leinster when we did the members pod on Tuesday. You're still leaning that direction? Yeah, absolutely. Leinster by, by a try for me for, for the aforementioned reasons. Superb. Dan McFarland's Road Warriors, they go again and uh, they're facing Leicester this weekend in the biggest game of Ulster's season by a significant margin, I would say, at this point. And... What an exciting weekend for them. Uh, they, we've spoken about this competition, the Challenge Cup, as an opportunity for them to firstly win a trophy, win a prestigious trophy with the greatest respect to Bernard Jackman's Challenge Cup medal and probably as well a win a competition that would... I think it would offer them a huge kind of a psychological boost ahead of next season because of the manner in which they'll have to go about winning this Challenge Cup, Murray. The teams they'll have beaten along the way and the fact that they're going to England constantly if they uh, are to do it. Um, that being said, Leicester are going to be a, a different proposition probably to even the Saints in the last game. Uh, we saw, obviously, how they got on against Connacht. And they seem to be rebuilding fairly capably under Steve Borthwick as well. So what kind of a game are you expecting and how confident are you, first and foremost, about Ulster's chances at Welford Row? Yeah, I think they've got a, an excellent chance, really do, of, of trophy success. And there aren't many trophies to win in rugby. You don't get many opportunities this close to a a medal so the players will absolutely be attuned to that opportunity it's been mad the way they've been on the road and they could have just set up camp over there with their their first team and, and kept them there and trained away in, in a way but they've got a familiarity i suppose with that english opposition as a result i expect Stuart mccloskey to be a, a massive figure in this we saw last weekend how much importance he holds and even more so now without marcel katsia as that kind of totemic figure carrying in the middle of the pitch McCloskey is outstanding in that dimension and has more to his game as well but he does give you a lot of go forward when he carries early in in your possessions and he makes life much easier for for everyone around him that aside they've got so many threats in their in their back line which we've spoken about frequently you know Burns and Cooney are are very good at getting the best out of the guys outside them and now they've Will Addison back in the mix as well thought it was really encouraging to see him back on the pitch obviously there were a couple of errors in there he showed his bravery to take down Abraham Papali as we mentioned on the Monday pod and it was great to see him make that break up the right hand side that should have led to a try against against Connacht it was really characteristic of him with the little hitch the goose step and ball in two hands gliding across the pitch and and finding a, a player in behind so um interesting to see what role he plays amongst all the back three strengths they have like it's be- obviously been really settled Larry's done really brilliantly at, at full back and 
Balakoon and Stockdale give you so much threat as well as all the young guys who I'm not going to list off. They're, they're just spoiled for choice there. So if their pack can get a, a good nudge on, which is a real challenge because Steve Borthwick obviously has put a massive emphasis on that since his return to Leicester and, and the signs there are really good. Even you saw in the, the Connacht game in the Challenge Cup, their mall was absolutely pivotal in overcoming that challenge there. So it will be, a, again, a, a ferocious one up front for them. But I just think with the proximity of, of success, it's going to be bringing out the best in Ulster. It does feel a little bit more like a Champions Cup knockout game, Bernard, doesn't it? I think purely because, well, firstly, we'd expect Ulster to be there. They were a little bit unfortunate to uh, exit the Champions Cup so early this season. But equally, because of how Leicester are playing under Borthwick, it's traditional Leicester Tigers ball, really. Murray mentions them all there. They just seem to be... Um, playing with a, a probably a degree more physicality or a little bit more they're a little bit more compact they seem to have more oomph up front as well and they're probably instilling a little bit of that old fear in teams like coming to Welford Road even without the fans it, it feels more like a an old-fashioned challenge going there now than it had done over the last couple of seasons I think yeah I, I've watched them a lot over the last few weeks and uh there's probably as physical a team as I've seen. Um, like it's gone back to Leicester of old. They seem to be enjoying contact. Um, and he's got Bordwick has got the likes of Dan Cole, Tom Youngs, um, back on track. They they were pretty poor, um, for for a long while. Um, and he's brought in some some great players. Uh, short term like Jasper Visa, who's just come in. Um, and you know been an absolute rock star in, in in the premiership where you know previous he's a real smart signing because he you know when he played in South Africa he was he wouldn't have thought he would have had this this level of impact and you know the likes of Nemeni Nadolo comes in and pick and goes um uh close to the line is, is nearly impossible to stop so they've got um uh, they've got mix of the old school the Tom Youngs the Dan Coles the, the Ben Youngs um the George Fords and then some really good uh, recent recruits like Nadolo, uh, Murray Muribadu actually used to play in La Rochelle, uh, Ellis Genge coming through the through the system there. So, and most importantly, they, they seem to have that edge again and that belief. So, I actually think this is a very hard game for for Ulster, um, and I know definitely like they'll be massively motivated by the, the Challenge Cup. But I I watched them. Leicester lost the last two actually lost to Northampton at the weekend, um, and Bath the week before away, but. I thought it was a huge amount of positives in, in what they're trying to do. The only Achilles heel for Leicester at the moment seems to be their discipline. Um, trying to be that aggressive, um, they're overstepping the mark uh, a bit and and hitting a few yellow cards. So that might be something that, that Ulster can take advantage of. But yeah, I, I think this is a big challenge. I think this is a harder game than the final would be against Bat or or Montpellier. Um, so yeah, hopefully Ulster can, can, can overcome it. Yeah, I watched Leicester against Northampton just to, I guess, brush up on them a little bit before uh, before this weekend. Even though they did lose, I got the impression similarly probably to Ulster against Connacht Murray that they probably had one eye on this week. And uh, like I, I can't say that with any certainty. It's just the impression I got. And like similarly again to Ulster against Connacht, there were actually loads of aspects of their game where you can see how good they can be. Like they put together some really nice pieces, some really nice touches, and then discipline as Bernard says a couple of errors and, and they wind up losing it but they like I'm what I'm saying I suppose is I wouldn't read too much into their recent form necessarily I'm wondering do, do you think the same yeah absolutely and it is as you say it's very like a Champions Cup kind of feel to it even with the tradition of, of both sides um, which makes it all the more appealing and yeah like it's great that Leicester are pushing back to what they were it's kind of sad when you see clubs dip away and on a consistent basis obviously Jordan Murphy had a lot of frustrations there and obviously didn't work out in the end and um, not completely all within his own power but um there are still a couple of, of Irish links there it'll be interesting to see if they're involved Johnny McPhillips the former Ulster out half and Dan Kelly is a really interesting one I, I don't know he's obviously a young guy not sure if he'll be on the bench but he's been really excellent for them recently anyone who's seen the premiership games will have spotted him he played for the 20s last year um, and has actually been involved in in the camps kind of over the last season as well but obviously England are going to be very interested in this guy he's a kind of IQ rugby exiles product into the Irish system but he has massive potential he's only 19 really good athlete um, and really good instincts about him as well so there's one to watch kind of behind the scenes um, and it's always nice to have those little, little Irish links 
what do Ulster have to do better, not only than than they did against Connacht, but I guess better than they've done, say, in the Champions Cup this season with those two performances against Toulouse and Gloucester in order to win here this weekend, Murray? Yeah, they've probably got to be a little less um, prone to making kind of repeated errors. It was what we spoke about on Monday uh, around the Connacht game where, you know, there's sequences of three, four minutes even just where they kind of string a couple of mistakes or missed chances together and and the best teams don't do that you know you think of Leinster think of I mean Exeter probably did do it in, in the end against Leinster but generally when they're at their their best Saracens at their best they're really good at isolating errors and and not repeating them not co- compounding them with with another you know penalty concession or a handling error next time you're in possession they never really have um a, a low a long low ebb in, in game so that's something for for Ulster that they've definitely been working on They've got a real character about their game and they've got a real identity around tempo and moving the ball and the players love that and, and buy into that. So they, they won't go away from that. With it comes a little bit of, I suppose, risk is the wrong word, but you can make errors when you're trying to play at, at high tempo. Um, but they'll be cognizant of of cutting that stuff down in, in knockout rugby, obviously. Brendan, do you think, even going back as far as the Pro 14 semi-final last season, they go to Edinburgh and win against the odds and looking at their run to get as far as this semi-final that they'll be psychologically bolstered by it and maybe what Murray is talking about there, making some of those errors and compounding them and making short or bursts of errors within a short period of time that prove costly. Uh, that might be a, a thing of the past this weekend. Ultimately, you'll only get to that place by going and winning games and they've been doing that at fairly key junctures over the last season or so. Yeah, they have, but they they have to prove it, I think, to themselves. Yeah, I think Dan will have identified that. That'll be frustrating him. Um but yeah, you can't it's not done until you've proven it. So I, I think this is a huge, huge game for, for Ulster. If they if they can win this, the 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 hype and excitement about a final will will be huge for them. Uh, a trophy would be would be phenomenal. But Likewise, you know, they see themselves as being a Champions Cup team. They obviously didn't make the, the knockout stages of that. Um, and, you know, if they were to get knocked out at this stage of the Challenge Cup again, I, I just think um, it would set them back a bit. So there's a huge amount on the line, um, on the line for them. Um, and obviously, having lost their first Northern Rainbow Cup game and two away games to go, they may not get be at the at the business end of that competition so this could be all or nothing for them and um i think it's a big 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 moment in in their progression you sound probably a little bit more concerned than murray's cautious optimism when we started the conversation bernard i'll ask you to call it first and how do you see it going you know i I fancy leicester unfortunately um uh i think leicester will 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 be too strong murray cheers up there yeah i'm going with ulster narrow one maybe three four points um but i do think they'll get the job done you split the vocaf la rochelle by five and ulster by yeah ulster by similar he's back in the cork man of course he is uh, i wouldn't mind just asking asking your opinion no sorry gav i'm not just asking your opinion on um andy friend came out and criticized ulster for using the captain's challenge against uh uh the papali tackle um and I, I just wonder like is that something that's going to happen are coaches going to come out and uh, and kind of uh, question or is it is the is the understanding that it's not about foul play because as far as i was concerned they used it um it was overruled and they lost it you know what i mean so as the winning coach you know it, it should be it shouldn't really be something to talk about um or just because Papalis had a bad discipline record who I thought Papali was excellent. He made a massive impact. It's great to see. But um, I just thought it was interesting. One, the 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 thought process around publicly kind of mentioning that, and are you trying to are you trying to sow a seed in other coaches' minds or captains' minds? You know, not to not to use your captain's challenge on a potential high tackle. I mean, my own opinion on it, and I want to hear yours, is that if if your player feels he was high tackled and it was a it was a chance to save a try. It's probably it's probably not a bad option, you know. Um, but obviously he wasn't high tackled and and, and they lost it. But um, I was just wondering what you thought on that, lads. Yeah, we talked about it on Monday in the in the pod. Um, I can I can I can empathise and understand Friend's point of view on that. You know, he's been they've been particularly kind of frustrated with how it has gone for Papali, and obviously that's within his own control and responsibility. And they've been 
working really hard apparently on his tackle tech and it is a sensitive point for them I mean I don't know I'm not in Matty Ray's shoes and haven't spoken to him or anyone in Ulster actually about this so I'm not sure but I mean surely he kind of has a sense of, of where the tackle landed you know um and obviously there's some of them are on the borderline, but I can I can kind of agree with, with Connick in that instance, to be honest. I think you probably have an awareness of where you've been tackled. And like that is part of it as well. Um, like teams are going to accentuate things, I, I think, a little bit or or really focus on getting the referee's attention. Even the Ed Byrne one where Jack O'Donoghue clears him out, you know, there's a big roar and, and trying to, I suppose, attract that attention to it. Um, and you don't want to see that into the game kind of, tit for tat challenges um, because that's just I don't know there's so much in a game that you could pick up on I thought it was cynical enough I thought it was a cynical enough challenge based on largely based on reputation and probably trying to accentuate to borrow your word Murray um, accentuate a, a perception of a player like just because of his history you know um, I, I thought it was a challenge kind of reliant on reputation rather than what had actually happened so it didn't okay if Matty Ray says yeah it was high then maybe yeah go for it but it didn't feel like a clever decision to me at the time and it's interesting the talk about it afterwards i wonder i wonder for how long that will be a thing or is it just something to talk about now while the challenge itself is a novelty burner do you know like i wonder will that fade away a little bit the discourse afterwards not necessarily the discourse about the actual decisions or the challenges but to chatter among coaches maybe it's just a new gripe that they have that will dissipate fairly quickly yeah, it's certainly going to give us lots more to talk about post-game. That's it. Refereeing decisions and non-decisions have always been big talking points. This just yeah. magnifies it that bit more. We'll be probably chatting about it plenty more, as you say, over the coming weeks. I'm looking forward to some actual rugby, though. In the meantime, two unbelievable games to look forward to for everybody at home this weekend. Enjoy them. This podcast was brought to you by Guinness. And remember to drink responsibly as well. Murray, thank you. Cheers, Gav. Bernard, thanks a million. Thanks a million. Back on Monday for the 42 members. Members.the42.e. If you want to sign up there, support our independent sports journalism, get all of the extra content and extra podcasts, including Monday's Rugby Weekly Extra. Till then, mind yourselves. Take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. It is Robbie Robbie's weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 oh,